0: Empire. Niche sports have found a foothold.
1: It's varied. I think as we stood up our stream over the last three years and our, our live broadcast uh, has developed, they've really just looked for quality improvements. Um, but, but now, uh, you know, we're at a place where. A lot of the fans are are happy with the quality um of course we are going to continue to invest and and improve
0: that's jeff spring ceo of the disc golf pro tour where interest and growth are happening on and offline this is the future sport podcast i'm bram weinstein the pickleball phenomenon has been eye-opening It's not like that sport just got invented. It just has finally caught on, and it's in the midst of a renaissance. So it does beg a question, is this happening in all sorts of other niche sports? That, of course, depends who you ask. But with the advent of technology and engagement, many sports have found new ways to grab larger and larger footholds. Our guest this week is Jeff Spring. He's the CEO of the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Let's take a ride into the future of one of the fastest growing niche sports in the country. Hey, Jeff, how are
1: you? Doing great, Bram. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to chatting.
0: Okay. Um, Disc Golf's been around a long time. Um, Had different names when I was younger. Um, Take me through where it was, where it is. Can you give me the synopsis of the growth of what has become a legitimized professional sport?
1: Yeah, absolutely. As as the CEO of the Disc Golf Pro Tour, we're, we're at a new peak, but we've certainly come a long way from the, the founding of the sport. Uh, it got really going after the invention of the Frisbee, which has a, a famous story itself uh, relating to a pie plate, Frisbee pie plates. Um, but that quickly, you know, grew into more than just uh, kind of a game uh, of catch. And, you know, in uh late 60s into the 70s, uh, there's the development of disc golf baskets. Uh, first, they were just targets, then they turned into a, a basket. I think at one point, they were called a pole hole, which, you know, I think would help your listeners to envision uh, because the, the game of disc golf is similar to the game of golf. Uh, but instead of a hole in the ground, it's a suspended hole on a pole, um, which is now just referred to as a disc golf basket. And there's there's chains. Um, And so, you know, the disc has evolved into, you know, a professional implement uh, that can be very accurate and thrown at great distance (laughs) accurately up to, um, you know, really 600 feet, not even, you know, trying to maximize distance, but accurately from some of our pros on tour. So these discs, you know, evolved into the professional sporting equipment that they are now as the basket evolved into the current version where there's chains um, that, people putt into and it knocked it down into the basket. Um, as the sport grew, um, you know, the professional disc golf association was born in the early seventies. Um, and that's a membership organization that now has over 250,000 members, paying members, huh. uh, mostly amateur, but also uh, plenty of pros as well. Um, they provide ratings um, similar to a handicap and golf and a, and a scratch, this golfer is 1,000 rated, whereas a scratch uh, traditional golf golfer is, uh, is a zero handicap. Um, so we have our own, you know, rating systems. And really, the sport grew uh, a few other metrics to think about is around course. Um, we're now up to um, about 10,000 courses just in the U.S. And, um, you know, about 15,000 worldwide. Uh, and that grew starting, you know, in the 70s as these courses went into mm-hmm. municipalities, you know, public parks. But more and more development now into the private land and pay to play. Uh, however, the great part about disc golf and something that's fueled this growth is that it's free uh, in 90% of the courses. Uh, and it's a very low barrier to entry. So, you know, a lot of disc golfers like to give away their disc. Disc range from between you know, five to ten bucks, yeah. uh, especially at Play It Again sports uh, and similar shops to, all the way up to you know, 25 bucks for a premium plastic or you know there's collector's markets now where um, believe it or not just go for you know up to a thousand dollars or more <laughs> um, so it's a very interesting uh, spectrum you know on the disc market but um, yeah at it, 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 the bottom of the barrel you know you, you can use your frisbee you can use somebody's disc or you can just buy one for 10 bucks and then you're good to go and start playing so this growth has, you know, accelerated quite a bit to the point now there's more disc golf courses in the U.S. than there are Dunkin' Donut locations. <laughs> um, so not, not one on every corner, but the, the growth of course is if there's a course near you, you're more likely to play. And so we've seen this explosion in players, um, that has kind of given birth to uh, a set of the best players in the world that are dedicating their lives fully professional touring. The country and then fighting for their place on tour so we have a, a tour card system now huh. um, and our top level events of it uh, have exploded as well and we run 32 um disc golf pro tour or PDGA majors uh, the elite of the elite golfers that uh you know we we bring to the public uh via our live stream um disc golf network uh, ott subscriber uh, network that we've developed to support it so That's it in a nutshell. Um, And there are so many facets and so many stories to dive into, but the growth has been spectacular. And the most recent round of growth was fueled by like 250 percent growth across the industry in the pandemic year. So 2020, 2021, it just absolutely exploded. We've seen a plateau, but growth continues, you know, 20, 25 percent, you know, coming out of the pandemic as well.
0: Um, let's go back to the courses for a moment. Um, uh, there's this explosion of, of courses. Um, are those courses dedicated directly to the sport or are you talking about kind of turning municipal parks into courses as well?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of both. Um, you know, our municipalities getting more and more involved. In fact, I'm, I'm here in Austin for the open at Austin a Disc golf road to elite event. And I, I met with the city and, and some stakeholders, um, and, and they want to invest in, and figure out how to bring a pay-to-play course um, at the at the highest level to the city of Austin. But yeah, the, the growth has been usually through clubs um, organized, you know, around courses that exist, saying, "Hey, how can we build another course?" It's a lot of volunteer labor put in, but more and more private investment as well
0: okay um also you've you've had the opportunity here too and, and we focus a lot on this show on technology it sounds like you guys have leaned into social media and leaned into those uh, areas of technology to try to grow the sport can you kind of take me through your digital network and how you are trying to rebrand yourself to a larger audience
1: yeah we have uh two core elements of our our media strategy and, and one is based on YouTube and, and free content um, aimed that growth. And another is uh, based on our development of the OTT subscriber network, the disc golf network um, that we've been working on for the past. I think we launched in February of 2020, um, which was an auspicious time to launch. But, um, you know, we've seen growth uh, where we're just cresting 50,000 paid subscribers to our OTP subscriber network and that's where we put our live coverage um, and then on the YouTube side of things we we have um, a YouTube channel and three core YouTube partners so disc golf media networks um, Jomez Pro uh, GK Pro and then Gatekeeper well it's Ace Run so I guess we have four now that have hundreds of thousands of subscribers Jomez is pushing 500,000 subscribers huh. and by the end of our events. Um, we're usually reporting about 2 million views between YouTube and, and live coverage. Um, so that's our core media strategy. Beyond that, um, our live product has uh, really matured and grown. So now we've got about, between, depending on the event, it's between 30 and 45 uh, media professionals that uh, we've hired and, and some that we contract with uh, to deliver our live streams. And um, a lot of our workflow is remote, um, especially in the control room uh, places. We've got a great relationship with AWS as well as LiveView. And we spin up some cloud servers, and there's a lot of ability to work remotely uh, due to the new technology that's available. Um, and, of course, we have on-site uh, media professionals in our media ops team. Uh, we usually are around eight different cameras, um, but we can scale up and do something for some of the bigger events and majors um so we're able to have feature cards or feature holes and and get up to you know 12 or 15 cameras on the course huh. um look and feel is really great when we are able to expand into that second stream we're able to cover it like a pga tour event and and if you follow pga tour or lid you know especially pga they really are doing a great job of you know, letting you pick the golfers or the groups that you want to watch. So there's there's tons of cameras, uh, tons of media, and and that's at our events as well.
0: Um, are you using anything like tracking technology for the discs or the players?
1: Yeah. So we we've we've started to dabble. Um, last year we debuted um, live follow flights, if you will, or disc tracking. Um, you know, in replay, and we have. Uh, we do that pretty, pretty regularly in post-production. Um, however, in our live broadcast, um, we don't have a shot tracker or shot link, um, like the PGA Tour does, although we are working with, um, one of their vendors that they actually own that, um, does tournament logistics and shot, shot tracker. I think it's called shot link. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're considering whether or not it can be applied to, to disc golf well. Um, and it is certainly expensive, but it's something that we're, we're looking at. And it's certainly, we're, we're always looking at ways to improve our broadcast. We've just, uh, introduced some 3D mapping, um, where you can see, uh, you know, immediately after, you know, our, one of our feature cards throws, you can, you can identify on a 3D map exactly where the disc landed, where the hole is and, uh, kind of look at the, uh, like a heat map where, where discs land. Um, more often than not, in uh, where the where the birdies, pars, bogeys are coming from, based on where people are landing. So, yeah, looking uh, to always continually uh, improve technology into the broadcast for sure.
0: I asked this of a lot of of people who run different various sports leagues, and I'm very curious to hear what yours is because yours is so niche. What do your fans want? Like, what, when when you get feedback from them about what you're presenting to them, what are they telling you they want more of?
1: it's varied i think as we've stood up our stream over the last 3 years and our in our live broadcast uh, has developed they've really just looked for quality improvements um but but now uh you know we're at a place where a lot of the fans are, are happy with the quality um of course we are going to continue to invest in and, and improve there but i think that they do want more more coverage as, as mentioned so you know our goals uh based on what we're hearing are to you know stand up more featured cards kind of cover further down into the tournament. I mean, like you said, we're an emerging sport with a a niche audience. And, and, you know, these fans are very passionate. They know, you know, out of a field of 150 players, you know, they may follow regularly 100 of them or know uh, these personalities. So they want to hear from them, see see them play, more interviews, uh, more perspective, more storytelling. Um, And, you know, I think the burden on our side is to stand up, you know, more streams and more cameras Um, And and we're able to keep adding because of the great support in the, the subscriber growth that we're seeing.
0: This episode is brought to you by Chalk and Dog, which brings together the vast experience and expertise of two of the brightest agencies in media, sports, wagering, and gaming. With deep roots in the UK and the US, the agency offers expert guidance in everything from market entry to market expansion for startups as well as established global brands powered by best-in-class communication and creative experts. Chalk and Dog has vast international experience and delivers results-oriented, tailor-made solutions for B2B and B2C organizations. You had mentioned the pandemic, I guess initially was a boon to you all because I guess people were looking for something inexpensive to do outside. Um, can you kind of take me through what happened for those couple of years um, and how it has potentially boosted the um, the accessibility and the awareness of disc golf?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it was a wild ride. <laughs> and in fact, it became... Uh, On the business side of things, a bit of a crisis for some of our biggest partners, which are disc manufacturers, um, because, you know, a lot of them were in states where, you know, the workforce wasn't able to come in and and work in their uh, factories in the same way. A lot of the disc golf companies are making discs right here in in the U.S., uh, whether it's Innova in in California or uh, Disc just outside of Detroit. Uh, Same with MVP Disc Sports, just outside of Detroit. Um, Prodigy in Georgia. Um, The list goes on. We also have some partners in in Scandinavia. But um, you're right in saying that the participation level went way up. And I think any outdoor sport saw this. um, You know that especially non-contact sports. um, You know, if we put our mindset back into 2020, you know, um, team sports were suffering as well, and and that's including ultimate frisbee so a lot of ultimate frisbee players who love disc sports came over to disc golf and we actually saw um you know i think five or six really notable ultimate frisbee players there are professionals who have come over to disc golf and stayed in disc golf Um, notably ella hansen on our our female side she um, almost won her first elite just last week in waco texas Um, but she was you know a national champion in ultimate frisbee so whether it's the top level or, or you know, just casually, um, that that bar uh, of accessibility is very low. Um, and a lot of people picked that up, uh, maybe that had just seen baskets in their local park uh, and were able to, you know, get into the sport. And so that that surge uh, created a big demand for, for more discs and new discs. And, uh, you know, what happened is that these disc golf manufacturing companies uh, just could not make them quick enough, especially with the shortage of, you know, staff and the ability to spin their machines, their injection molding machines to create this, spin them up. And, um, you know, there was a, you know, this huge surplus in demand. And, um, you know, a lot of these companies were able to go 10 times bigger throughout the pandemic, if not more, buying more, you know, equipment um, and, You know, some of them had to be very careful because as we plateaued and the demand has has reduced a little bit and now we're seeing it pick back up, you know, overinvestment was definitely a trap during the pandemic years. Um, But a lot of them are stronger and healthier uh, coming out the other side. Uh, But it was a a wild ride. And we had actually the Wall Street Journal report on this at the opening event in 2021 uh, doing a story how. Uh, this, this level of growth at this time uh, in our, you know, society was actually a nightmare for some companies. Uh, but, it, you know, looking back in the end, everybody survived and are, are better off for it. And, and the game has, has nearly doubled. In fact, I think it took, um, I think it, the PDGA membership, it took 40 years to get to 100,000 members. Um, and in the last four years, we've added 150,000 members. So um, that's a real barometer right there. It's like, you know, I think it doubled in three years after taking 40, you know, to get to that hundred thousand. Now we're already at 250,000, which we just celebrated two weeks ago.
0: Um, Okay. So as you try to broaden the appeal and let's all hope there's no more pandemics coming down the road here that might jumpstart, you know, uh, attendance and, and, and uh, awareness of it. um, As you think about branding, what this is, how do you think through trying to make this a more appealing sport for people who would want to be interested in it?
1: Yeah, you know, there's such a broad demographic of of players. I think it's very important, uh, you know, at the at the core level um for the sport to keep that accessibility. And and you know, in we have a UDisc growth report and UDisc is the app for disc golfers. It's a great way to find courses um because they just pop up and you'd be surprised if you go onto UDisc and and see the courses all around you. Uh, I would encourage anyone to pop open the app. It's free. Um, to do, but, um, you know, we want that accessibility and the fact that even after this huge surge in pay to play courses being built, still 90%, um, you know, free courses. Uh, I think that that is a really, really solid base, um, uh, to continue to see participation growth. Um, that barrier to entry, uh, being so low, as I mentioned, but, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the next phase, what we're seeing, uh, you know, in terms of the demographic shift, I think a lot of folks that maybe, you know, 20, 30 years ago, maybe getting into their thirties and forties might've gone and played golf, got a foursome, gone to a country club are not looking for that experience. Um, You know, disc golf definitely has a connection to nature um, that is more robust than maybe a manicured golf course uh, at a country club. Um, A lot of like people like it because it's it's like a light hike um, a lot of times um, with a point <laughs> and um, you know it's a great way to get out into the natural environment but it's also versatile you know you can do it in a in a city park as well so um, I think that what we're seeing in the growth of pay to play is that kind of experience to have that group of friends camaraderie um, but have a have a nicer you know experience with with tea times now um, and you know we you know I, I'm coming from you know, before I became the director of the, this golf pro tour and the CEO, um, I ran two courses at Smuggler's Notch Resort in Vermont. So we're seeing uh, mountain resorts or golf courses or private landowners um, invest to have a great experience there. We have a great pro shop. We've got a patio. You can buy food and drink and enjoy your experience and, and book a tee time. So that experience with uh, mixed with, you know, that low bar to entry, I think, can serve us well and really deliver any experience that. Folks want. The other side of growth is is media. You know, we've been working to deliver media content to ESPN. I mentioned our core media strategy being YouTube for growth and the live coverage being on the Disc Golf network, our OTT subscriber network. Um, But now we've gotten the live coverage um, to the point where we could distribute it to, you know, CBS Sports, uh, which, you know, who we worked with before, or ESPN, who we're working with. We've delivered about Five programs all in post production to ESPN 2 over the last three years. Um, and they're interested in, in continuing that. So right now we're, we're looking at this, this secondary media strategy where we want to keep our core media, which is it, it, strategy intact. It's, it's working. Yeah, there's millions of views, um, and there's revenue being generated from our network. However, I think that growth strategy is putting it in front of people in, in places that they watch other sports and bats, whether it's basketball or football, yeah. uh, baseball, you know, and, and just getting it out in front of people's eyes. I think, you know, we've seen cornhole do a good job of this, making, um, you know, kind of specific events for the networks when they have openings, Now as pand- pandemic, it waned and more sports came back online. Those opportunities have been um, a little bit fewer or harder to get, but there's still high interest in what we're looking for now is like basically a league deal um, and we're in kind of advanced negotiations with a couple of these, these companies now. So, you know, we're excited to um, put more media out to the, you know, kind of distributed to the masses through national broadcasters or streamers.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Last thing I was going to ask you how you kind of view competition. Um, is pickleball competition, is cornhole competition, are these types of kind of emerging sports, niche sports, Do you view them that way or or, or are you adjacent to them? Do you try to maybe copy some of the successes that they've had? How do you, how do you view that?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't view them explicitly as competition. Certainly there's only so many eyeballs watching, you know, new sports. Um, But, you know, from, I really think it starts with the base of disc golfers. We know, you know, there's, you know, pretty much, 10 million you know, disc golfers right now that are, are playing regularly and, and that's growing. And, you know, looking within that base of players to draw them further in and get them more excited, um, get them watching the best in the world um, and get them to, uh, you know, buy a Disc Golf Network subscription is, you know, our main path to, to growth is, you know, create more disc golfers. Um, have those disc golfers you know really get into the sport and enjoy it uh, and enjoy following it, and then get them watching um and so you know i I think that for the for the casual fans um and maybe people that you know a lot of people have actually gotten into it that don 't play now, and I think that that 's where there is some competition are they more compelled watching you know cornhole or maybe pickleball or disc golf and you know to to that extent it they are so so different it's a, you know i I suppose that it would be. Uh, you know, analogous to, you know, the NBA or the NFL being in competition. Um, you know, there's different storylines. Uh, and I think that they don't necessarily, you know, look at each other's competition, but you know, know that they need to, uh, create a compelling media product that fans want to watch. And so if you look at baseball, uh, they just, you know, introduced a more aggressive pitch, pitch count, uh, pitch clock and, uh, that's aimed at keeping the, the pace of play up and, and keeping their media product compelling and viewable. So, yeah, I mean, I would say to a degree, there certainly is is competition. We want to um, see, you know, our product um, out there and being viewed and being picked up by the masses. Uh, But I think that primarily, you know, if we do a good job, we're going to capture more and more disc golfers. And, um, you know, there's not necessarily the idea of competition in that. just, we we need to keep creating a a compelling product and and putting in front of a, a growing mass of disc golfers.
0: Jeff Spring is the CEO of the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. On the next Future Sport Podcast, weighted wearables continue to increase athletic performance.
1: One of the ways that I often describe to, to get started with describing with micro load, coaches that do well with microloading will add the micro load to feed into what they're already attempting to do with the drill. So if we do it well, then likely you're getting to that end goal faster. You're getting there in less time because you've more directed the challenge.
0: That's Dr. Aaron Fazer, head of science at Amorpho. where finding the right balance is the key to maximizing athletic potential. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.